Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. Welcome back, everyone, to the Table Leadership Podcast. So glad to have you guys with us after our summer Sabbath. A great time of just refreshing and rejuvenating for our team and really getting to refocus a little bit. So we definitely missed these weekly conversations. So I'm really excited to be back. And I'm even more excited um, that I get to share with you um, just an incredible, incredible leader, incredible woman of faith, Pastor Gail House. And for those of you who have been listening to the table for a while, you may recognize the name. This is actually the third member of the House family that we are having on the podcast. You might remember earlier we had Chris, who is a a good, good friend of mine, incredible worship pastor. Um, We had Chris on way back in, I think, January or February. And then not long after that, we had his wife, Shanika, on. And so now we have Chris's mom. And I'm just so excited. A family that has an incredible legacy of not only faith, but also kingdom-focused leadership. And so I'm just excited to get to feature her voice and her life with you guys today. And so, Gail, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to be on the table. Thank you so much, Sian, and it's a a pleasure to be here. Wonderful to have been invited. Um, I feel like I'm special because uh, our family has been featured at your table. This is really great. I I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited. And so tell us a little bit about you, just kind of where you are, who you are, what you do, what your experience has been so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Okay. All right. I am a retired educator. Um, I was a special ed teacher for 17 years, elementary guidance counselor for 10, school administrator for 10. I retired after 37 years in education uh, in 2009. Uh, After that, I was going to just work in ministry with my husband at the time who founded our church. Uh, But God took him to be with him in 2010. So 2010, I became the pastor of the church. So I am now the pastor of the church that he founded 31 years ago. And I'm in my 10th year as pastor. Um, so I have brought all of my prerequisites of special ed teacher, counseling, school administration. I said, God, did it really take you 37 years to prepare me for my real job? I guess so. So, um, And I'm enjoying it. God has blessed me uh, to really be at such a time as this. And I really think I am a purpose to be here at this time. So I'm, I'm just really thankful. Of course, I am the mom of Christopher House, my only begotten son. And uh, Shanika, my daughter, uh, who he is married to, and my two beautiful grandchildren, uh, Reagan Lee and Ryan Elise. And I'm just excited to be in this time with them in order to see them grow and to see all of us grow in ministry. So it's, it's been great. Yeah. And I do have to say, and I know I said this when I had Chris on and I said it when I had Nika on, but honestly, they are the most adorable babies. Both of them are. They are so cute. They got such good genes and they just got blessed with cuteness. I had such a blast with Regan at, um, oh, whose wedding were we at? Brian. Brian mm-hmm. Tamara's wedding. Uh, yeah. And oh my gosh, we were dancing and laughing and so much fun. Anyways, I could talk about your grandbabies all day. But, um, and hearing kind of your background, I actually have a couple questions about that that I'm going to put a pin in and we'll come back to that in a second. Because I think just your transition vocationally of where the Lord brought you through education and then all of a sudden to not even be 
planning to go into full-time ministry, but to all of a sudden become the pastor of the church that your husband started. That's, there's just a whole lot of stuff in there that, um, that we can talk about. But what I want to start by asking you, uh, and this is something that we ask everybody because this is the table and, and my heart really is just to, to gather people, to feed people's bodies, to feed people's spiritually, um, to feed leaders and to just nourish, to nourish and raise people up. And so if you and I, if it wasn't COVID, first of all, and we could actually get together, and if we weren't on opposite sides of the country, and we were gathering a group of leaders around a table to invest in them, what would you be feeding us? I would be, I wouldn't be cooking it, but I would be feeding you uh, collard greens and cornbread. Oh, (laughs) I miss Virginia so bad. Um, where would you be getting it then? Cause you said you wouldn't be, cooking. Um, I wouldn't be cooking it. I probably, probably would have gotten it from, um, mango mango. Uh, cause that's one of our favorite places and they have the best collard greens and they have the best Neo soul soup. Uh, but also it would be a crazy menu because I like seafood as well. So I'd have to have some crab cakes here too, and maybe some snow crab legs. And I know that's a bad combination, but those are my favorite foods. So we probably wouldn't be eating it during the meeting because it would be too messy, but that's what we'd have. Cornbread, collard greens, crab cakes, and snow crab legs. And crab legs. I love it. That's awesome. And it's so funny, too. Anyone that's been listening for a long time, we talked about Mango Mango with Shanika and oh. Of course. I mean, you know, that's what they said was, oh, we'd go to Mango Mango. And so I'm sure people are just wondering what is up with this place. But I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, those of you who are not uh, native to the 757 area, if you ever find yourself there, there is a reason that this is now my third guest who has brought up Mango Mango because wow. it truly is amazing. Wow. Um, it is. Have you had there, I think they call it the, is it the Hampton Benedict? Or the- yeah. That's it. That's the Hampton with the crab cake. Yeah. Like eggs Benedict, but then they put the crab cake on it. They do the best shrimp and grits too. Delicious. And the Neo Soul soup is, uh, yeah, to die for. Yes. 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 They have, a, they have a crab. Um, I think it's a crab and lobster lasagna. Yeah, that was new. I think this season. Yeah. Nice. I can't wait to come back and visit. Again. Are they even open right now? Are they doing like pickup or how's yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, they're open. Uh, they did a carry out for a long time, uh, and then now they, I think it's limited seating. Yeah, they do have. They're they're open. Okay. Awesome. Good to know. Next time I'm back in the seven five seven here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So now that we have full bellies, uh, full of cornbread and collard greens and crab legs, um, what is it that you feel like you bring to the leadership table? Um, Sian, I think I bring, um, in fact, I know I bring, I bring authenticity mm-hmm. as a leader. Um, I am who I am all the time. Uh, I am very intentional about making sure that I am the person that uh, God has purposed me to be, and I am authentic in that. Um, I don't waver from that. Uh, along with that, I my intention is always to empower others, and in that empowerment, uh, to expect accountability. So I demonstrate that um, in my attitude, in my feelings, and I also bring a positive energy to leadership. Uh, I look at things very positively. I'm very content in knowing that whatever God has purposed, whatever he's allowing, whatever he's doing, uh, that's what he's doing. And it's my job to do what I need to do uh, as a leader, not only for myself personally, but for those in which I lead. Uh, I've been in a leadership capacity, I feel like, all my life. Uh, I was told that even as a child, um, I'm, I'm an only child. 
and Chris is an only child as well. Um, ironically, my parents were born, my parents were married seven years before I was born. I was married seven years before Chris was born. I don't know if that's significant or not, but it's always been, you know, it's a part of something that I share. And I was always the leader in preschool, in elementary school. I was the person that not really taking charge, but being able to be in charge without making others feel like they were not acceptable. So um, I've had that leadership ability. And so I grew up knowing that I was, uh, I had that attribute and that was a part of what I was going to be. Didn't know in what capacity or career, but I always enjoyed teaching, always enjoyed learning. And wherever I am, I seem to take somewhat of a leadership role. And because of my authenticity, I am who I am all the time. You don't have to, the kids say, you never have to guess Miss House because you know what she's thinking. She's going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you in love, you mm -hmm. know, and hope that, that that helps you. And that gives you uh, an area uh, and character building that you can just thrive on. That you can be proud of and just be yourself. And that positive energy that I bring, it's like, hey, we, we're going to do this. We're going to make it work. We're going to plan it. Uh, if things don't go well, we're going to uh, take a U-turn or maybe just change it a little bit. We're going to make this happen. If this is the plan and this is the purpose, we're going to bring that positivity. So I try to maintain that kind of environment so that those negative spirits and those negative attitudes don't have a time to come in and disintegrate whatever environment that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So I like to have the positive um, attitude in that environment and my genuine authenticity. I think I bring that to the table. So I'm curious, because I love the authenticity piece. Do you feel like that is something that has just kind of always naturally been a strength of yours? Or has that authenticity really developed with maturity? I think a, a part of both. I was always made to, I grew up with my mom. My father died when I was three years old. So I grew up with a single mom for a long time before she remarried, a very strong grandmother and a very strong great grandmother. And character and uh, authenticity was something that was a part of what we did. It, it's, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, you uh, never fake. You never pretend. You do everything uh, in love, but you make sure it's real and it's genuine. So it's a combination of both. I was in, in that type of environment. And as I grew and got in situations and environment where um, I, I was became the leader, uh, it was very important to me to be a be authentic in whatever I was doing. An example of that, um, Sian, when I was interviewed for um, to be an assistant principal, I had been a counselor for 10 years and I was interviewed to be an assistant principal. And at the end they asked, you know, is there anything you wanna share with us? Anything that we haven't asked you? And my statement to them was, I am a team player and I'm not a game player. I needed them to know that I was not gonna play games of any, any sort. I wasn't gonna be part of the political troubleshooting, any of that. And I said, I'm very comfortable being a counselor. I was an elementary school counselor. I'm very comfortable doing that. And I, I could retire doing that. So I'm going to be who I am. Uh, I'll do that, that position in the best of my ability, but I'm not going to play any games with anyone in the system. So mm -hmm. I just put it out there on the table. Um, so I think I've gone stronger in that character um, as I've matured and, and, and grown older as well. Well, and I think the idea of authenticity, obviously, especially when it comes to building trust with those that God has entrusted us to lead, authenticity is 
hugely critical. What would you say, whether it's from your own experience or again, because you were raised, you know, you've got this legacy of strong women of character and high values in your, in your life and in your genealogy, what is it that you would offer to someone who is kind of struggling with authenticity? Maybe they weren't brought up with that character value in place. They're dealing with fear of failure, fear of rejection, people pleasing, um, maybe some insecurities. What is it that you know about the value of authenticity, what that says about who we are as children of God and what it looks like for someone to actually begin journeying into a place of leading authentically without um, really just being able to kind of conquer that mountain of the fear of rejection? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good question. Initially, I would pray and ask God to give me what is it that they need. That that person should pray and ask God, what is, who am I? Sometimes we define ourselves by who someone else is or we want to be someone else. So to really intentionally ask God, what is it that you would have me be? How would you have me uh, react? What would you have me do so that I know who I am? I don't want to be like someone else. You have made me fearfully and wonderfully made. There's been a purpose in me. I need to know what my purpose is and who you want me to be. And then to be able to um, ask God to relieve that feeling of uh, not being accepted. For many times, we just want other people to accept us because they've seen a model of what they believe to be the best. And God has made all of us individually. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. None of us are duplicates. We are. We were purposed, you know, for a particular purpose. I always say, you know, God, does, he does things and he has us on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. We have to know what that is and to be okay with that. It's okay if I'm not as tall as you are. It's okay if I don't have the education. It's okay if I can't articulate like you do. I need to be okay with myself. So initially I need to ask God, what is it that you would have me be so that I'm not trying to be someone else? I think many times we live in a world where we want to imitate someone. Um, in fact, when I became, um, I was ordained, licensed and then ordained. And but when I became pastor, I have several degrees, but none of them were in theology. <laughs> I haven't attended seminary. Okay. So it's like, okay, God, is this a setup? How is it that you place me in this position and I feel like you are going to cover me? But I don't feel, it was me personally, I don't feel that I have what I need to do this position. And he spoke to me like I'm talking to you. He said, you have what you need. You open your mouth and I'll speak for you. I would never have put you there if I had not prepared you for where you need to be. And I was comforted in knowing that. So God blessed me throughout these 10 years to be in a mini college setting. For theology. I've gone to Bible study fellowship, um, many Bible college from First Presbyterian. So there have been opportunities and he has just set me up for what I needed to be and do. And even this past year, I was um, a, a point where I was uh, recommended to be a part of the Episcopal College for Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, which meant I was in the Episcopal College and literally went to Princeton and I was in Princeton Seminary, you know, for those months, uh, went to New Jersey and then ended up in Atlanta and then, you know, went through catechism and 
the um, the, the whole um, Episcopal, the exam, you know, and I'm going to be consecrated as a bishop. So it's like God knew all along what he was planning for me to be just because I gave of myself and I was my authentic self. So I do pray to God, ask him, what is it? What is it that you have for me? I don't want to be a duplicate of anyone else and help me become that person without feeling like I have to be someone else or do something that someone else has done. Mm-hmm. Let me be the person you want me to be. And I'm going to be okay with that. Yeah. I think that's a really important distinction that you make because you're right. So often there is this particular model that we think, okay, well, this is what a person of faith is supposed to look like, or this right. is what a leader is supposed to look like. I have to right. be outgoing. I have to be right. assertive, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now if that's not how I feel like I'm naturally wired or how I lead best, and yet I'm trying to fit into that mold, now I'm not being authentic. And authentic doesn't mean that you are the perfect version of whatever a leader is. Authentic means that you are being and operating in the way that God wired you to operate because maybe your soft, gentle, passive approach is exactly what's needed in your context. And so I love how you drew that distinction of what authenticity really means. And so, you know, we can all be authentic, but your authenticity will look differently than mine because we are wired and designed in different ways for different purposes. Absolutely. Can I ask for, and I know, I think this is important because I know that um, we have a really diverse uh, listener base. And so for the women that are listening, and I think this is important also for men to be able to kind of hear to help affirm the women that they are working and leading with. I know a lot of the women that I've coached have said it's really difficult for them to be authentic in their sphere because they feel like they have to lead like a man, look like a man, because it is a very, um, whether it's a patriarchal context or just a very male dominated context. And not that that's a bad thing, but they say, it's hard for me to be who I am and to be authentic as a woman, because I am in a context where I feel like who I am and how I'm wired isn't actually valued. What would you say to someone that, you know, for, for whatever, whatever, um, factor it is, is feeling like I am really struggling to be, I desire to be authentic. I have the the value of authenticity, but in my context, it just seems to clash. What would you say? I would say it's still important for you as a person, not to just fit in to be in, (laughs) but to be who you are at that table. God never places us in a situation before he's already provided the plan Mm -hmm. and the distinction and the end result. You're not there by accident, wherever you are, at the table, in the position, um, in the environment. He's placed you there on purpose. So I would say to that person, continue to be who you are, where you are at that time. Meaning that I'm still gonna have to grow, I'm still gonna have to learn, Um, It's different for me to be here because I don't look like them. I don't act like them. But because I've been put in this place, there's a purpose for me to be here. Not not only am I valued to them, but they are of value to me because I need to be where I am at this moment in time. Uh, I was given a full scholarship to Spelman College. Mm 
And my mother said, no, you won't go there. You need to go and accept the money that you're getting from Northwestern University. And I'm saying, but that's not what I want to do. And this was, okay, this was 1970, 68, 69. And she said, the world you will live in, you will need to, I hope this will help someone, the world you will need to live in, that you will live in, you will need to be around people that don't look like you. So that when you become that mature adult in your career, wherever God is leading you, you will know how to facilitate. You will know um, what is appropriate. If you go to Spelman, you'll be with all female African-American women. You need to be in an environment where you'll learn to do different things. And this was way. So my mom was way ahead. And she she was uh, 98 years old, July 16th. So she's still alive and well, uh, with, with much clarity and knowledge. And so I use it as an example to say. I went to Northwestern University and I was the, I was at that time, they were called basically the token. Um, I needed to be, I was very few African-American females in special education, very few. Um, and so we, we gathered together in the education department. We were there together but, and we stood out, but we stood out with pride and with a knowledge that we were there on purpose to make change. And it was difficult. Um, because we're as, as African-Americans, I can tell you as African-American female, uh, I was taught, literally taught to, you got to be 250% better than your white counterpart. Okay. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. So I was a great student, and but I maintained that intentionally to know that I'm at this table, I'm at this university, and I'm going to be what God wants me to be here. But I had a strong faith. And that's another part of it. You have to have a strong faith and relationship with Christ to know that he has laid the foundation for you to be where you are. So take it and run with it. He is. He will never, ever set you up. That's what I love about him. He will never set you up for failure. Yeah. He already knows the end result. Mm -hmm. So be there, be confident and intentional about maintaining your relationship with a savior who is going to provide your every need, every need. Um, I want to ask you, I want to go back to talking a little bit about your background, because as I mentioned to you before, you know, we have a diverse listener base and we have people who are not just um, faith leaders. So people who are in vocational ministry within the church or parachurch organizations, but we also have uh, leaders of faith who are people of faith who are leading in a variety of contexts, the, the marketplace, government, lots of different spheres. And, you know, they're kind of looking at like, what does it look like for me to lead and to steward this platform and influence that God has given me really well, especially as a person of faith. And so I think what's interesting is that you have been in both uh, when you were in the education system, um, obviously you were in the marketplace. And so you were a, and obviously I know that you have a, a lifelong journey with the Lord. And so you were a person of faith at that time, leading in a non-church context. And then all of a sudden you were thrown into an actual faith leader context where you are pastoring a church. And so can you talk a little bit about what it looks like to lead as a person of faith in both of those settings. What are the benefits of each? What are the challenges of each? And just what has your experience been as a person of faith leading both in the marketplace and in ministry? Okay. Uh, it's interesting. That's a, a great question. When I came to Virginia in 1979, um, I was a special ed teacher and I had a young lady who was in my classroom with me. She was my teacher assistant. Well, in New Jersey, we didn't have teacher assistants. So I did everything. 
So when I came, uh, I, she, she met me that first day. I said, okay, so what do you do? She says, I do whatever you ask me to do. I said, okay, I'm not used to having a support system like this. And so we grew together and I use her an example because I was in the marketplace but I was not, um, I wasn't the pastor preacher. In fact, I wasn't even ordained or licensed at the time. But my behaviors and my reactions to things demonstrated to her what a Christ-like person would be. She never, I invited her to church, you know, invited her to things that we did, but I never ever uh, even invited her to know Christ. Uh, not that I can think about it. You know, I never even offered her salvation. Um, I was just loving, I built a relationship with her. And 20, long story short, 20 years later, she joined my church. So 79, I meet her, uh, 1999, she joins our church. And she said in her testimony, you never forced your Jesus on me, but I watched you and how you reacted and what you did and how you articulated and what you said, how you focused with people, how you interacted with people. So I say that to say I was in the marketplace. My light was shining without carrying a Bible, without wearing a cross, without having it across my forehead. My behavior, my attitude, my positive spirit, that energy that I say that I bring, it eluded from anything that I did. So people saw that in me. So when I became the pastor of the church, it was like I had to lead people into that so I could freely offer uh, my gifts to them. Now, when I became a school administrator, I did. I probably broke some rules, I guess, because because <laughs> when I became the, the principal of the school, the first day of school, uh, I, when the teachers come back in, I said, I'm not sure if, if this is going to be offensive to anyone, but we need to come together in circle and we need to pray because I have to ask God to lead us throughout what we're about to do. And he's going to guide us. Now, mind you, my husband and I had already gone around the school. We'd already anointed the doors and all that. We did that before they came. And I said, if you, my prayer is that you will not be offended, but if you need to share the information with someone, feel free to do that. I just told him because I need to do this not only for myself, but for us. So every year I was a principal for seven years and every, the first day we gathered in a circle in the uh, cafeteria and we prayed and asked God to give us strength, endurance, uh, that we would be the best we could for all of our teachers to bless our community, to bless our school, our children, the buses, that we would be covered by the blood of Jesus. And it was amazing. The very first time I did it, it was like there was this freedom that came over everyone in that cafeteria. They said, we have never experienced anything like this at all. So, and I, I was reluctant. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you do this. So I was led by the Holy Spirit. And from that on, we had a wonderful school environment. The dynamics of that building were astronomical. We were, at that time, you had to make AYP, annual yearly products. You had to pass the SOL. So we, we were on top of all of that. We had a low suspension rate. It, it was phenomenal how God provided and, and protected us. So from being in the marketplace, being a, a leader of faith, mm -hmm. demonstrating that, throughout the career, becoming an administrator, then becoming a pastor, uh, ordained minister, you know, then becoming a pastor. It was like, God gave me the opportunity to let my light shine in both places um, without having the title or anything. So it's amazing how you can be in the marketplace. Let your light shine before men that they can see. Just demonstrate the love. Yeah. Be, again, being authentic to who you're supposed to be.
Yeah, I love it. Um, I would have loved to have worked at your school. I used to be in education too. I don't know if you know that. I was a public educator before yeah. I went into ministry and um, and actually went um, kicking and screaming a little bit. Loved public education. When we got uh, to Hampton, actually, when we moved in 2010, okay. I had applied for all sorts of different jobs. I actually got offered a job at Hampton High School and oh. the Lord said, nope turn it down. And it was a very kind of slow step-by-step journey that then actually took me into ministry and then getting ordained and leading and pastoring at Freedom Life. Um, and I, I really fought it at first for a number of different reasons. One, because this was not my plan. This was not what I expected. This is not what I intended for my life. Also, I am the most unqualified person for this. I haven't been to seminary. I don't know anything about formal leadership. I'm, I'm a classroom teacher. Um, what, you know, I had all sorts of questions. I was really fighting it. I was unsure about the whole thing. I had all sorts of different reasons why this cannot be your plan. This cannot be what you're asking of me. Um, and I had to work through all of that because I knew that I knew that I knew what God was calling me to. And I'm just curious about your experience with that journey. When the time came that you were actually stepping into not just ministry, but actually leading the church after your husband went home, mm-hmm. what what did that look like for you? And how did you journey through that transition? Because I know, because I know not all, but a good number of our listener base um, are also in coaching groups that I have. And so I know that we have some listeners who are kind of in that place um, of saying, look, God is calling me in a completely different direction. And I know, especially a lot of that frustration can be, well, did I just waste the first half of my life? Did I not hear you right? I mean, I went and paid for a college degree in this thing, and I spent the past 10 years in this career career field. And now this is what you're asking me to do. And I am just really confused and unsure. And so as someone who has been in that place, um, how would you kind of counsel someone through that? Yeah, uh, that that's really interesting because that's exactly where I was. Um, like, like I said, you know, God, did it really take me 37 years to prepare me for my real job? I uh, have, did you do this on purpose? Surely he did it on purpose for me. And it's all in preparation. It's it's amazing how if you, if God puts you in a place and he's told you what to do, he's already prepared you for it, even though you don't see the path of preparation. So a person who's being moved or who's being called into ministry, into a, a different career, whatever that is, if, if it's truly a God calling, it's simply a matter of reflecting on what you've done in the past, and then you can put the puzzle together out as to how he has prepared you for what he's prepared you for. When I reflected, I could see being a special education teacher, I was dealing with people with special needs. Mm-hmm. Okay, people in church have special needs. When I became the counselor, I learned about theory and people's thinking and their emotions um, and how to deal with different psychological avenues. People in church have the same kind of situations where we deal with emotions and different kinds of attitudes. I was in school administration, which prepared me for uh, ordering materials, organizing groups, knowing uh, how to organize programs and events. The church as like a business, you need to know how to organize, how to reconstruct. So when you find God giving you that next, your next 
my suggestion is to take the time to reflect. What have I done in the past that he's prepared me for this? You won't be able to put it together initially, but once you do it intentionally, you will see, oh, so that's why I was there. So that's why you made the change. That's why I'm where I am now because you prepared me for my next. But it was a challenge because like I say, I was like, I haven't been to seminary and people in Virginia, it's like, if you haven't been to Virginia Union or Regent, like, you know, <laughs> what do you, who do you think you are? I'm saying like, okay, I don't want to be sitting at this table, God, and everybody's talking about where they've been. And I can name off all these schools I've been to, but none of my degrees are in anything to do with seminary. But he says, I prepared you for such a time as this. Again, being intentional about the reflection. Yeah. God has already prepared you for it. That's mm-hmm. good. The reflection is such a huge piece. Um, and those are wise words because I think we just have such a tendency to draw such a hard and fast line between what's sacred and what's secular, you know, yeah. and put everything in a box. And so this was my box of being in the marketplace or being an educator or being right. in the military or whatever it may have been. And now all of a sudden I'm called to something sacred. I'm called to church, to ministry, to nonprofit work, to parachurch organizations, whatever it may be. But it's the blurring of those lines because I really think there, when it comes to stuff like that, vocationally, there's not a division between sacred and secular. It is, I am a person of faith and here's the context that I'm in. And so that specific piece about taking the time to reflect from one season to the next, from one transition to the next, and to intentionally look at what has God done? How has he prepared me? What can I bring from my past experience into the next that he's calling me into is such a a huge piece of it. Just that space for intentional reflection and discernment is, is huge. And I think especially, you know, our culture tends to be so achievement focused and goal oriented and go, 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 do, do, do that setting a time for intentional reflection is a habit that we could probably, at least I should speak only for myself, but I know that I could make a lot more time for intentional reflection and discernment. And that's just huge in the world of leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as we're wrapping up, um, I want to ask you, because what's really stood out to me and not only from our conversation today, but just from what I've known about you in the past and our interactions with a variety of the different, you know, networks and inner church things that we've done. And of course, knowing Chris and Shanika, and obviously you have raised Chris and influenced Shanika. And I just, I see their faith. I see the way that it's lived out. Everything that we've talked about today, it keeps coming back to ask the Lord, ask the Lord, ask the Lord, listen to the Lord. And there's all sorts of different, you know, leadership concepts and theories and tools that we could talk about. But what it really comes down to, what I'm hearing from you is it comes down to a deeply personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, where you are regularly seeking his face and hearing from him. And for those of us who are in any position of leadership, especially those of us who feel even somewhat qualified for what we do, it's really easy to lean on our own strengths and our own gifts, whether that's strategy or management or whatever that may be. And what I want to ask you, especially as someone who is incredibly mature in their faith, are what are some of the regular practices that you commit to that you find absolutely non-negotiable to build that relationship with the Lord so that 
your answer to everything ends up being take it to the Lord and see what he has to say. What does that look like in practice for you? And how can you encourage some of our listeners um, to really deepen and strengthen their own relationship with the Lord for that purpose? Um, I found my found myself being very busy um, and being busy uh, I have, as a teacher, you, know, you have acronyms for everything. But to me, it meant um, bound under Satan's yoke. Mm. I was busy doing a lot of things. Um, and after I became it was really after I became the pastor of the church. I was, yeah, it was after I became pastor. God said to me, you've been doing a lot of work for me. I need you to spend more time with me. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the nugget that I want to leave with um, the person. So what I do is every day, it never, never, it never fails. Every day I get up. The very first thing I do is to thank God for him allowing me to wake up. I might do that lying in the bed. I might do that on my knees. I might go into my office to do that, but that's not negotiable. It, it's not negotiable. Um, I set my alarm so that I'm getting up at least by six o'clock a.m. And I might get up and go back to bed, depending on what my schedule is. Mm -hmm. But I will get up and I will spend that time. First, it was only I was like timing myself seven minutes with God. I think I I read something somewhere, seven minutes with God. But that seven minutes turned into 15. Sometimes it turns into 25 or 30. But I spend time with God intentionally. That has to be a part of your agenda. You cannot start your day. You can't let anything else interrupt that time. So if it, it, it means scheduling to make sure you do that. And if I don't do that, the rest of my day is not, it's disjointed. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to do that, but I had to do that. It wasn't an easy thing to do, but I had to intentionally know when he spoke to me and said that, you're doing a lot of work for me. I need you to spend more time with me. That was like a command. That was a directive. So I spend that time with him and then I make it a point to journal. I don't journal every day. I don't journal sometimes every week, but there are times when I'm led to write. Mm -hmm. And so I write down what I hear God saying to me. So that's not something that I do. Like I say, I don't do it every day. It's not something I say, well, everyone needs to journal. Journaling is is well, but I only do it when I'm given um, something to, to write in my journal. Mm-hmm. And, and what I write is what God gives me. And then I take the time to reflect during those times that I do every morning to look back at what I've written to see what it is. So my time with God, that's first journaling periodically. And the third thing is to go someplace and just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll write down the book Row Beach. I'll sit out on my deck. I'm, I'll at least do that at least once a week. Find a time to sit and be quiet without the television, without the cell phone. I mean, you can stay on your cell phone forever. I can get on my cell phone and I'll go through my timeline or Facebook, whatever. Uh, It's a a distraction. So spending time with God initially, writing in my journal periodically and spending some alone time. Alone time is good. It could be um, in a bubble bath. It could be just sitting in the bathroom. I'm serious. I, that is just probably not so professional. But you can <laughs> finding some place that you can be by yourself without any distraction at all. Because it's so necessary 
to hear the voice of God. See, we say this scripture, you know, Matthew 6, 33, um, you know, God and seek him first in his righteousness and all these other things will be added. But do we really do that? Seek him first yeah. and, and allow everything else to be added to us. He has things prepared for us. He's waiting to give us. It's like I know you tell kids to when, when they pray to close their eyes and, you know, bow your heads and close your eyes. I tell people, keep your eyes open and see what God has in store for you. We do that for children because we don't want them to be distracted. But open your eyes and see what God has in store for you so that you can get everything that he has just for you. Because there are gifts that he's given you. And we need to take care of them while we're here on earth and be happy. Be authentic. Be positive. I'm telling you, have that positive energy. Spend that time with God. Spend that time alone. Write it out. And you have a better life. And you won't have, you won't be stressful either. <laughs> that's stress. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. And I love the simplicity of what you're saying. I think, you know, so often I I do it myself and, and I talk to so many leaders who they're chasing after all of these big ideas and these big things that they have to do. When what it really comes back to is the simplicity of, are you spending time every day with the Lord. And it's, oh yeah, no, I know, I know. Okay. I know I need that time, but, but no, are you doing it? Tell me when was the last time you actually spent even five minutes, not trying to figure things out or plan and strategize with him, but just being with him. And the amount of times that I have had a leader honestly say to me, okay, well, I know I should be, but, but it's actually been a while. Well, then we're not, we're not talking about anything else. We're not talking about any other strategies. We're not talking about any other steps that you can take until you develop a rhythm for at least a week straight of just spending time with the Lord and listening to what he has to say. And we overlook the, the easiest and the simplest tool and resource that we have because it doesn't seem big enough or important enough or grand enough, especially in light of the burden that we feel like we're carrying as leaders and the mantleship of the things that we're leading. But that's, that's really what it comes down to. It is truly as simple as that. And that's where it starts. So, and I really think if I had not done that, it had been doing that for such a long, long period of time already during this pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been uh, extremely stressful and challenging for me um, because we were, we had been, Begun to do some things, you know, online or ex- expanding uh, that kind of thing. But uh, if I hadn't done that, I would not have had the strength or the endurance or the perseverance to be where I am at this point. So I'm so glad that I heard the voice of God and I did seek Him first and His righteousness and all these other things that I didn't know were coming. None of us knew were coming right. are here. So now I've had time to really do that because this was my um, this was a year I was going to do. I had all these trips planned. And I had cruises. I mean, I had some going on every other, seriously. And all of that was like eliminated. Every bit of it was eliminated. And in whatever state I was in, I could be content because I had sought him first. That's so good. Well, amen to that. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It, it really was an honor to get to share your voice and your wisdom and your story. And uh, I know that it resonated with somebody. And so I just want to say thank you for leading the life of faith 
and commitment to the Lord that you have, because you, you truly are not only leaving an incredible legacy within your family and your church, but it is inspiring for those of us who are a generation or so behind you, who get to watch the story and the life of someone who has led by faith. That's just, it's encouraging to me. And so I just so appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Sian. It was my pleasure. It's been my joy and glad to see you. You got to come back. (laughs) I know. I hope I will soon. Definitely. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at The Table. <laughs>